Crossway Church Sermon Audio. Uh, Jude is the second to last book in the New Testament, so it's rather easy to find, although it's just one chapter, so you can miss it too. So just go to the end, Book of Revelation. The page right before that should be the book of Jude. As you turn in there, let me mention a note on voting in this election season. If you have not yet registered to vote, there is still time. Christians are encouraged in various ways in the scriptures to be good citizens, good earthly citizens, as far as we are able. And that means in the United States, for us, that means voting. Uh, It's actually a pretty amazing and wonderful thing to be able to participate in the election process of our leaders. And so, uh, seeking to be good citizens, I encourage you to vote. And if you have not yet registered tomorrow April uh, October 19 is the last day to register and uh, probably one of the easiest ways to register is to go to PA family vote excuse me PA family voter.com not .org.com PA family voter.com scroll to the bottom and at the bottom right you're going to see a link to register if you click that it'll take you right to the state form Makes it very simple to register. I think it's like a, I think it's like the form, the state forms, maybe fourteen questions. It's rather easy to register, and uh, and if you haven't done that yet, there's still time. Go ahead and do that today. Now you're also going to find at pafamilyvoter.com right there on that page. You're going to find a personalized voter guide. In other words, when you put in your address, it'll tell you who your representatives are. And you can read up on some of their perspectives on some important issues, important social issues, important issues that sometimes connect with or overlap with biblical issues. And so uh, you could check that out there. I do encourage you to take a few minutes to at least uh, do a little bit of research on those that you'll be voting for uh, on November 3 and to get some perspective. So that's at pafamilyvoter.com. Both you can, you can go through there to register to vote, and there's a voter guide that can help you even know who your representative is to begin with. Okay, did you ever watch the first Rocky movie? Yeah, yeah, that was Tom Bushy as well. <laughs> Featuring largely today. Uh, but I appreciate it because I know I'm dating myself, right? Uh, the first Rocky movie came out in 1976. And I was just a child, but I wanted to watch it. I finally got to. In the movie, the champ, Apollo Creed, is just a devastating fighter. He appears to be unstoppable. And Creed wants a high-profile fight, but his high-profile opponent has just dropped out. So he chooses an underdog to fight and figures that it'll be a good show for the people that come out. So not a real fight, but a good show. Except that Rocky Balboa doesn't think the fight is just for show. He has something to prove and doesn't want to miss the opportunity to do so. And when he knocks the champ down in the first round, that's when Apollo Creed gets up and recognizes that he better get serious about this fight. Now, I think the church can be a little bit like this. We have victory in Christ Jesus. We, our sins are covered by his blood. And the scriptures make it clear to us that we are actually in a fight to the death. Literally in a fight to the death, till the day we die. 
Our sin is so serious. Think about this. Our sin is not a light thing. It's not a small thing. Our sin is so serious that Jesus has to die so that we can live. And even as we have been redeemed, we must continue to fight our own flesh, our own sin, till the day we die to glorify our Savior that gives us life. And because of the runaway train that sin is, we must continually battle the sin that affects us all around us and even invades the church. The Christian situation is at the same time always both settled and secure in Christ, but also precarious because of the fallen status of humanity, including ourselves. But I think the evidence shows that we, the church, can be dangerously unaware of destructive forces at work in and around us. So even though we are in a fight to the death, a lot of times we don't realize that we're kind of like Apollo Creed going into that fight with Rocky, that this is all a show. And this is where Jude enters our lives so helpfully. He wakes us up to the deadly realities going on around us. So let me just ask a couple of questions here. You may remember the answers from last week. First of all, do you remember that Jude wanted to write to the church about something far more pleasant than he did end up writing about? He writes about something very difficult instead. He wants to write something encouraging, something that, that they have in common. He wants to talk about the gospel, but instead he writes about something difficult. Do you remember that? I'll read it for you, verses 3 to 4 of Jude. Beloved, although I was very eager to write to you about our common salvation, I found it necessary to write appealing to you to contend for the faith that was once for all delivered to the saints. For certain people have crept in unnoticed who long ago were designated for condemnation, ungodly people who pervert the grace of our God into sensuality and deny our only Master and Lord, Jesus Christ. Remember that? Now Jude goes on to warn and remind them about their perilous situation. He explains to them to be aware and to deal with the problem. Now, second, Jude almost spends the entire... So that's so he's, he wants to write them about something else, but he's like, no, we've got to focus on this. And then, second, he spends almost the entire letter trashing the intruders. Trashing the intruders. It is quite the phenomenon, really. I actually wonder if, if, if someone were to do this today, how they might be viewed. In our, in our very sensitive culture today, he just trashes them. He Just read the letter, you're going to see the, the language he chooses. There's no mistaking how Jude feels about these intruders. Why does he do this? Jude speaks strongly, directly, and honestly about the intruders so that no Christian is mistaken about their influence or message. Jude is saying as clearly and as strongly as he possibly can, this is not a mixed situation. There's nothing good about what these intruders are saying or doing. He's telling them to make a very clear, very unmistakable line in their lives so that they are not deceived and they are not destroyed. 
Let me sum it up like this. This is our theme for this morning. Contend for the faith because the fight is real and it's near. Contend for the faith because the fight is real and near. It's real. It's right here. And it's critical. Contend for the faith because the fight is real and near. Let us not pretend that a fight is not raging. It is. And let's take a look at the contenders in the fight In the first corner, we see the intruders, the intruders themselves. Now, to give us all a better picture, I'm going to read verses 1 through 19. It's a longer text, so just hang in there. I think you'll find it interesting. Please, uh, you know, well, let me just say this. For at this point, we're going to focus on our, for this first point, we're going to focus on verses 12 to 19, but I'm going to start at verse 1. And as I read, notice how many vile attributes Jube calls out about the intruders. Just notice the language. It's quite the pile of insults. It really is. And notice how serious these are. So Jude 1 through 19. Here we go. Jude, a servant of Jesus Christ and brother of James, to those who are called, beloved in God the Father and kept for Jesus Christ, may mercy, peace, and love be multiplied to you. Beloved, Although I was very eager to write to you about our common salvation, I found it necessary to write, appealing to you to contend for the faith that was once for all delivered to the saints. For certain people have crept in unnoticed who long ago were designated for this condemnation, ungodly people who pervert the grace of our God into sensuality and deny our only Master and Lord Jesus Christ. Now, I want to remind you, although you once fully knew it, That Jesus, who saved a people out of the land of Egypt, afterward destroyed those who did not believe, and the angels who did not stay within their own position of authority but left their proper dwelling, he has kept in eternal chains under gloomy darkness until the judgment of the great day. Just as Sodom and Gomorrah and the surrounding cities, which likewise indulged in sexual immorality and pursued unnatural desire, serve as an example by undergoing a punishment of eternal fire. Yet in like manner, these people also, relying on their dreams, defile the flesh, reject authority, and blaspheme the glorious ones. But when the archangel Michael was contending with the devil, was disputing about the body of Moses, he did not presume to pronounce a blasphemous judgment, but said, The Lord rebuke you. But these people blaspheme all that they do not understand, and they are destroyed by all all that they, like unreasoning animals, understand instinctively. Woe to them. They walked in the way of Cain and abandoned themselves for the sake of gain to Balaam's error and perished in Korah's rebellion. These are hidden reefs at your love feasts as they feast with you without fear. Shepherds feeding themselves, waterless clouds swept along by the winds, fruitless trees in late autumn, twice dead, uprooted, wild waves of the sea, casting up the foam of their own shame, wandering stars for whom the gloom of utter darkness has been reserved forever. It was about these that Enoch, the seventh from Adam, prophesied, saying, Behold, the Lord comes with ten thousands of his holy ones to execute judgment on all and to convict all the ungodly of all their deeds of ungodliness that they have committed in such ungodly way and of all the harsh things that ungodly sinners have spoken against him. These are grumblers 
malcontents. Following their own sinful desires, they are loud-mouthed boasters, showing favoritism to gain advantage. But you must remember, beloved, the predictions of the apostles of our Lord Jesus Christ. They said to you, in the last time there will be scoffers following their own ungodly passions. It is these who cause divisions, worldly people devoid of the Spirit. Now starting from verse 12 on, let me list some of these negative characteristics of the intruders. I'll just list three and talk about these three real briefly just to get a, just to get a taste of what's going on here. It really doesn't even uh, get to the bottom of it, but just to taste it. So, Hidden reefs, he calls them hidden reefs. Reefs could be devastating for a ship. If a boat sails over a reef because they didn't see it, it could rip the bottom of the ship apart. It could create a hole. It could rip the whole bottom off. Imagine if a crew believes it is nearing land and will soon have a dangerous voyage coming to completion, but then to only get stuck on a reef. The situation goes from relief to to imminent distress. That's what these intruders are. They are hidden and deadly. They are in the church hidden. People are sailing along and they're getting destroyed because they're getting stuck on these hidden reefs. Not only are they hidden reefs, but they are shepherds feeding themselves. The sheep are dependent on the shepherd. The good of the flock depends on the willing sacrifice of the shepherd. You remember this metaphor. Jesus is the good shepherd. He's Uh, He's right, and he lays down his life for his sheep, and we all benefit. He's the chief shepherd. These intruders may or may not be official elders or, or pastors of this church. I think it's more likely that they were itinerant teacher types, which was common in that time, but they were consuming Uh, rather than sacrificing. They were taking for themselves rather than pouring themselves out. These intruders are the opposite of Jesus. They are about self rather than about God's people. And even though they're behaving so selfishly, the church didn't see it because they crept in unnoticed. They were hidden reeves, right? So they appear to be shepherds, but they're actually only serving themselves. That's how dangerous they are. Not only that, but he calls them waterless clouds, waterless clouds. Water is so critical. But you know, as critical as water is, it is so easy for us to access that you and I might not be aware that this is not always the case in every part of the world and every time in the history of humanity. In fact, I I don't remember a time where I was uh, having a hard time getting water. I, I don't remember ever a time where I was so thirsty that I, I couldn't take it, but I just couldn't find any water. But But many people in the history of the world have had that experience. And so if you're thirsty, or if you're a farmer, and it looks like rain, and your health, your very life, or your livelihood depends on that rain, you rejoice. You look up at those clouds, and you don't say, oh, I can't, I can't hang outside today. It's going to rain. This is so terrible. You know, I wanted to, to go to the restaurant and sit on the outside patio. This is terrible. I can't do that. You don't look at it that way. You look at it and say, oh, good, good. There's going to be water. But they rejoice unless the clouds pass without giving any water. They feel the humidity in the air. Maybe they see some lightning. They see the thick clouds, but no rain comes. And then they are simply left with disappointment and a sick heart and maybe great anxiety over their lives or their livelihood. 
These intruders are the same. They promise refreshment to the church. They behave as if they know. They, they, they position and posture themselves as if they are streams of flowing water. But they provide none. They are waterless clouds. And each of these insults that Jude makes, each of the three I've listed, each of the ones that come, that he, he's making a point about the intruders that's, that's it's specific, it's unique. He's, he's tearing them down. He's tearing them apart. He's saying, this is what they are. They promise to be one thing, but they're not. They, they, they come in and act like this, but they're actually uh, false. They're, they're fraudulent. They're wicked. And notice that Jude has no qualms about using the strongest kind of language that you can imagine. Let me list this out for us. Here is what Jude says about them in, in, these, in, in just verses 12 to 19. He says more before and, and even after. But listen to, to what he says here. I'm going to list them out for you. Ready? Hidden reefs at your love feast. We talked about that. Shepherds feeding themselves. Talk about that. Waterless clouds swept along by winds. Mentioned that already, but here we go. Fruitless trees in late autumn, twice dead, uprooted. Wild waves of the sea casting up the foam of their own shame. You know how, you know how waves are rough enough. They, they stir up the dirt underneath and they look all muddy. That's, that's the shame of these intruders. They, they, they go around, all they are is they, they, they stir things up, but all they're really stirring up is their own shame. Goes on from there, they're wandering stars from whom, for whom the gloom of utter darkness has been reserved forever. This is probably the planets. Ancient peoples had a much better grasp of the movement of the stars, the placement of the stars than you and I have today. So as much as we may know technically about the cosmos, uh, they probably knew it a lot better practically than we do. They would use it even for navigation. But the planets were a bit of a mystery because in their orbits they would come for a season and disappear. And it just looked like they, they went into outer darkness. That's what he's saying to them. These are wandering stars for whom the gloom of utter darkness has been reserved. Not for time, but forever. He, he goes on to say that it's about these that Enoch, this, this righteous man from the Old Covenant, he prophesies about them, about their judgment. He goes on, he calls them grumblers malcontents, following their own sinful desires, loudmouth boasters, showing favoritism. They show favoritism to gain advantage, much like the flatterer in the Proverbs. He calls them scoffers. He says they follow their own ungodly passions. He says they cause divisions. He says they're worldly people. He says they're devoid of the Spirit. He is trashing them. And Jude really just kind of destroys the concepts of niceness and politeness here, doesn't he? Apparently, there are times to go directly at someone and to draw hard lines and to strongly denounce that those are hard words in our day and age, even though it happens all the time. People do it all the time, and yet, somehow there's supposed to be no place for that in the Christian parlance. Of course, we're to be patient, kind, Long-suffering, loving, gentle, of course. But there's also a time to go directly at, draw hard lines, strongly down. In this case, the gospel is being compromised by the message of the intruders. The intruders are saying that you can remain immoral and remain in Christ. 
and you cannot. Judas saying, no, that teaching is the face of evil and it will destroy. It is not true and it cannot stand. Judas saying, you cannot remain immoral and in Christ at the same time. You must repent or no longer consider yourself a Christian. Brothers and sisters, we need to think about this. These intruders had a following within the church. People in the church think about this. It it may seem so black and white from the scriptures, but just think it through from all the scriptures. People in the church would have experienced and appreciated relationship with these intruders. They had a following within the church. We know that some people in the church must have thought well of them. Some in the church would have called them, oh, they're kind and they're generous, they're godly, they're wise, and any other number of positive adjectives. But what Jude makes abundantly clear is that these folks would be way out of line to do that. Not only out of line, but in danger to think that way. Can you see that? To not discern properly about these kinds of things is deadly and way out of line. It's better to call evil evil than to downplay it or trivialize it or minimalize it. You see, I could easily see someone in their church when confronted with the deception of the intruders saying something like, well, there are three versions of the story, you know. There's, there's your side of it, and then there's their side of it, and then the truth, which probably lies somewhere in between, which has the sound of wisdom, but really needs to be applied to Scripture. Or I could see someone in the church saying something like, yes, they are wrong, but they need to feel the love of God's people. Or... I could see someone in the church saying something along the lines that blames the church. I could see this very well. If the church hadn't wronged them to begin with, they would be in a better place. Now compare that to the way Jude handles it. And let me mention this. Perhaps each of those statements I just made, each of those statements, each of those attitudes, I think each of them has a right time and place. But in the face of evil deception and gospel distortion, there is no place for it. This is a misplaced compassion. And let's not be among those that are easily duped. Gospel distortion is evil. And there is a trend in this world and in evangelicalism that is disheartening. Often God's people seem more inclined to confront the person who's calling out sin rather than to confront the person who is in sin. Brothers and sisters, how can that be? And that's why Jude writes. And considering this, giving someone clarity based on the truth of God's word is in fact love. You're giving them what they need. You're giving them the definition to see clearly the way forward to come to conviction for sin and to repent from that sin. And whenever we trivialize or minimize it, we steal away from that potential by acting like it's not that bad, even though it's destructive to death. Contend for the faith, brothers and sisters, because the fight is real and the fight is near. 
In the first corner of the ring, we saw the intruders, but in the other corner of the ring, it's us. It's the church. So let me read verses 17 to 23 for us. We'll we'll be rereading 17 to 19 there, but then a few new verses. So 17 through 23. Let me read for you. But you must remember, beloved, the predictions of the apostles of our Lord Jesus Christ. They said to you, in the last time there will be scoffers. Following their own ungodly passions, it is these who cause divisions, worldly people devoid of the Spirit. But you, beloved, building yourselves up in in your most holy faith and praying in the Holy Spirit, keep yourselves in the love of God, waiting for the mercy of our Lord Jesus Christ that leads to eternal life. And have mercy on those who doubt. Save others by snatching them out of the fire. To others, show mercy with fear, hating even the garment stained by the flesh. Well, does anyone have... Any trouble remembering things these days? I think that's a rather common human condition. And one of the greatest frustrations is to have taken multiple classes on a particular subject. And in in those classes, having taken multiple exams and written multiple papers, and then after a few years, to forget the main point of that subject. It's quite delightful. Well, here again, as we see several at several points in the scriptures, is a remember asterisk. It's a put the pin in it moment for God's people. It's God saying, you've got to keep this in mind. God's people are being told that they must keep remembering this and to never forget it. And here's what we have to keep remembering. The apostles predicted that scoffers would come. Can you put a pin in that? The apostles predicted that scoffers would come. And when scoffers come, we shouldn't be surprised. It is, in fact, our reality. The apostles predicted it. So then, what is a scoffer? Well, here it is those that have crept into the church, and I've been calling them intruders. Last week I called them creepers a little bit. I'm certain that, think about it, these intruders, I'm certain that they would not call themselves creepers or intruders or scoffers because they don't see themselves as intruders or scoffers. They see themselves as bright shining lights that everyone needs to listen to, that they're the ones with the words of truth. But since they affirmed immorality as consistent with the Christian life, Jude calls them what they are. He calls them scoffers. In other words... The scoffer derides orthodox Christian teaching. Scoffers speak in a mocking way about righteousness and ridicule those that hold to it. Now think about the attitude behind scoffing. Is it not enormous pride behind scoffing? The scoffer takes up an air of authority in his comments. And that's a big part of what's going on here. The the authority is already addressed in the passage, in Jude. And the scoffer assumes an authoritative position that has not been granted to them. And of course, the scoffer is the one who will be scoffed at in the end because the time will come when God will pull the rug out from under them. The time will come when God will say to the scoffer, listen, you took that seat of honor that doesn't belong to you. Now get out of it because it belongs to someone else. And they'll be removed and they'll be mocked. They'll be humiliated by that. 
If you have trouble spotting the scoffer, then keep an eye out for the result of scoffing or the fruit of scoffing. As the scripture tells us, verse 19, it is those, it is these, the scripture says, who cause divisions. You know, there is, there is in the church and in this world as great a danger coming from the abuse of authority as there is from those who claim authority that has not been given to them. Consider that. There's a lot of focus on the abuse of authority, and the abuse of authority is egregious. But there is also the other side of it. There is the grasping for authority by those to whom authority has not been given. And that is a deadly thing as well. Christians, the people of God, the members of the church, have other occupations. We need to be mindful of scoffers, but we should be focused on other activities. Namely, we are to keep ourselves in the love of God. Now, that's an interesting phrase, isn't it? Let me reread verses 20 to 21. But you, beloved, building yourselves up in your most holy faith and praying in the Holy Spirit, keep yourselves in the love of God, waiting for the mercy of our Lord Jesus Christ that leads to eternal life. This is interesting because in verse 1 we're told that we are kept for Jesus Christ. That's verse 1, we're kept for, for Jesus Christ. In fact, that was the main part of our uh, of our poor, uh, of our theme last week, being kept. We contend because always knowing, we contend always knowing that we're kept for Jesus Christ. That's a serious promise. God will keep us. What a glorious thing. What an important thing to remember. God will keep us. Amen. But even while God is keeping us, God expects us to be active. We're to focus on the love of God and to keep ourselves in the love of God, knowing what that love of God is like and knowing how to keep ourselves in that love of God. The idea is here that because God keeps us, we can continue to walk uprightly before him. And while doing so, we continue to experience his love through gospel blessing. God keeps us. And while we walk in that, in that being kept, we keep ourselves in God's love. We keep ourselves in the experience of God's love. Think of it in this way. I'm going to give you a very simple illustration. A parent tells their child, I want to take you to the zoo on Saturday, so make sure you get all your homework done on Friday night. Well, Saturday morning comes around and the homework is not done. So the parent says, sorry, I told you this already, but you have to get your homework done first. We're not going to be able to go to the zoo today. Now, that doesn't mean that the child is loved any less, right? The child is still loved by the parent. In fact, the child is being loved very well through this disciplinary process. But this consequence and this discipline is the outcome of the child's foolishness and poor choices. The consequence came because of disobedience. And it may not feel like love to the child, even though it is love to the child, even though it is good for the child, it may not feel like love to the child. Think about it the other way. What if the child had gotten his homework done? Then they go to the zoo, and in the enjoyment of the day, the child feels the delight and the satisfaction. The child knows the love of the parent. And uprightness then has been rewarded. Obedience has been rewarded. And, and you know what else? That child is protected 
from the potential danger. So, so by their uprightness and keeping themselves in the love of the parent and experiencing the blessing of the parent's love, the child has taken another step they may not even realize. They're protecting themselves from the false thinking that, that goes something like this, nothing good ever happens to me. Right? Isn't that what we do? Isn't that what we do? We, we disobey. We step out of line. We don't walk in, in righteousness. And then when the consequence comes, we often, we, we say, hmm, I can't believe this. Nothing good happens to me. Always bad. And we, we blame God and we charge Him and we act as if it's His fault rather than a consequence in our own lives. And when we do that, that's very destructive. There's a very destructive power there in that self-pity. It's unbelief. And so we're, we're not keeping ourselves in the love of God when we have that attitude. And we begin to edge away from, from His grace toward being shipwrecked. Can you see why it's important to remain in the love of God? Walking before him and then delighting in the, in the shining of his face who smiles on an obedient child as you experience the gospel blessedness of obedience, the grace that flows. It's, it's not that when you disobey that when you sin that God cuts you off or he stops loving you. No, you're kept. If you trust the Lord Jesus, you're kept by God for Jesus. But wow, you make it a lot harder on yourself. And we do that, don't we? We make it a lot harder on ourselves because we don't keep ourselves in the love of God. Well, how can we keep ourselves in the love of God? Well, verse 21 tells us, Verse 21 tells us that by building ourselves up in our most holy faith and by praying in the Holy Spirit. Let me just, let me just summarize that very succinctly, very simply. You know what he's saying there? Building yourself up in your most holy faith. The, that idea of faith there, it's the, it's that, uh, that body of doctrine that makes up the Christian religion. That's what he means here by faith when he says faith. It's a, it, it, it's a doctrinal, a systematic doctrinal, uh, a collection that says that that's what it means to be a Christian. Things like Jesus became God, the second person of the Trinity became a man and, and, and became one of us and lived a perfect and sinless life and died for all those who trust him and rose again to overcome sin and death and the devil. Those kinds of things. And he's saying, build yourself up in that. In the knowledge of it and in the practice of it and the application of it. So you know what that means? Get into your Bible. Open your Bible. When's the last time you opened your Bible? Do you open it every day? Do you read even just a portion? Open your Bible. Get in your Bible. Love your Bible. Learn your Bible. One of the ways you do that, certainly do it on your own, but certainly do it in the church. You're doing it today. You're doing it now. You've, you've come before the Word of God. You've brought your children before the Word of God. They're hearing the Word of God go forth. Well done. Keep it up. And in your practice and in your experience of keeping yourself in the faith, be in fellowship and be in each other's lives and, and relate in a true and honest way. Encourage one another in their struggles and build one another up. It also says to pray in the Holy Spirit. So prayer, so be in God's Word and be in the church and be in prayer. 
and do these things and you will remain. You will keep yourself in the love of God. And finally, let me just mention here, I'm going to ask Doug to come and we're going to participate at the Lord's table here in just a moment. I'll just mention that there's an outward component of Jude. And, and I do, I just, want to, I, I just want to note it. I just want to note it before we, before we conclude because it's interesting. He, you know, he spends so much time tearing down the false teachers and exposing them. And you look at the New Testament and, and the huge bulk of the New Testament, right? It's, it's about believers relating to God and relating to one another. The huge bulk of it. But there are points where we, where we recognize a part of our responsibility as believers is, is to have an outward focus, to have an outward eye. And, and so we see that here. When he turns to believers, he shows them that they need to take care of their own walk with Christ and the walk of others. And when I read verses 22 to 23 for you, note as I read them that there are both fellowship components, primarily fellowship components. And note that. That the Bible puts an, ele- an emphasis on fellowship components. But there's also an emphasis, there's also a, a note for evangelistic emphasis, evangelistic components, an eye for others, those in the church and those even beyond the church. Let me read for you verses 22 to 23. And have mercy on those who doubt. Save others by snatching them out of the fire. To others, show mercy with fear, hating even the garment stained by the flesh. For more information, head to our website at crosswaypa.org.